Coming up this week, off screen. NASA calculates some hidden figures. Barry Jenkins shines in some moonlight. John Wick returns for chapter two. Anna Chancellor grapples with the love of her life. John Waters shows off multiple maniacs. Michael Keaton becomes the founder. Chemical records get lost in France. And Matt Damon visits the Great Wall. All those to come and more, off screen. This is. This is off screen. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Ooh, welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. I am Case Allen. And welcome back, Mr. Allen. Another fun week of films to enjoy. Film news, film reviews, box office top ten. All, we all, all we've got all the stuff. treats, haven't all we? All that good stuff. All that good stuff. So before then, we, before we crack on with the... What are we going to the first biggie this week? Uh, do you want to give me some film news to start us off? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to talk about a couple of chaps that me and you sort of bonded over all those many, many months ago when we met. Uh, are, are the, are the, is it the Coens or, or Lord and Miller? I can't remember. Neither. It is Jay and Silent Bob. Ah, uh, are they striking back again? They are rebooting. Are they rebooting? Oh, I did hear about this. Yes. You must have heard about this. I have. So isn't the story that Kevin Smith just cannot get a new project off the ground and has decided, you know what, we're just going to do Jay and Silent Bob and, and take take on reboots? In in a manner of speaking, but I kind of like the way that it played out. Basically, the plan was to go for Clerks Free. Uh, they had funding. They were ready to shoot and everything. And then apparently one of the cast members said, hey, I don't want to do a Clerks Free. Um, so then, was it Jeff Anderson? I feel like it was Jeff Anderson. I I don't I think, it, like I don't it, think it would have been Brian. I don't think it would have been Brian O'Halloran somehow. No, I don't think so. I think it was definitely Jeff Anderson. Because he, he almost didn't come back for the second Clerks. So. I did hear that, yeah. yeah. So that's what I would say. And then it was going to be a Mallrats 2. That never happened. But no, Jane Silent Bob rebooting. Yeah, isn't it? So what is it? Is it, is it, what is it called? Jane Silent Bob Reboot? Is that the title? Yeah. Uh, the title is going to be a Jane Silent Bob Reboot. The basic premise, and I really like this, um... They go back uh, to see if they can stop a remake of the Blunt Man and Chronic film that was made in the first (laughs) movie. Um, But now the film is going to be called Blunt Man v. Chronic. Blunt Man v. Chronic, is that the title now? That that, that is the title of the Blunt Man film within Jay and Silent Bob's uh, reboot. No, that's quite clever. I quite like that. Isn't it? Yeah, that's pretty good for Kevin Smith. For Kevin Smith, that is unusually clever. And I say this of the man that's currently at work on Moose Jaws. I hope we do actually see Moose Jaws at some point. <laughs> moose Jaws. I mean, moose he's literally doing Jaws with a, with moose. a moose. I mean, which he with keeps a moose. saying, yeah, it's Jaws with a moose. Fair play to him. Fair play. At least, at least he's got his branding down. He knows his product. No one's doing him under the Trade Descriptions Act. Exactly. That's fair enough. Exactly. He knows his product and he knows his audience. <laughs> Good old Kevin Smith. You can always rely on him for a chuckle, can't you? Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, should we uh, head to space? Let's head to space because that's that's what we're reviewing. We're reviewing the help in, in space. space. Yep, <laughs> exactly. So oh, hidden I, figures, which you actually you saw this before me, didn't you? I did. I I can't say that very often, can I? No, you no, you cannot. But you got. Did you, went to, did you go to one of the Odeon uh, secret screening the things secret that screen. they do? Is that one? Yeah, and uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised when uh, I saw that this was a film that I was going to be viewing that that night. It's pretty good. Am I right in thinking that this is written and directed by Theodore Melfi, who did Saint Vincent? You are correct. Right, okay, I just wanted to check that, because I, 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 I was getting this confused with... Uh, who was it? I was getting this confused. The right director, I was getting confused with this and something else, um, one of the Oscar don't, ones, don't and it was all up in the air. Don't say fences. <laughs> no, it wasn't fences. It wasn't hidden fences, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> 
So this is then. This is uh, based on the true story, and this is the the three women who worked for NASA. And this is back in in this during the space race. This is the height of the Kennedy Field space race, the mission to uh, send John Glenn into orbit, and it is how they overcame adversity in order to basically complete the mission. And uh, they're played by Taraji P. Henson, Janelle Monet, and Octavia Spencer. You were a big fan. I was a big fan. And here's a clip of Kevin Costner being introduced to Taraji P. Henson. Ruth, what's the status on that computer? She's right behind you, Mr. Harrison. Does she handle analytic geometry? Absolutely. And she speaks. Yes, sir, I do. Which one? Both. Geometry and speaking. Ruth, uh, get me the... You think you can find me the Frenet frame for this data? Using the Gram-Schmidt... Fourth organization algorithm? Yes, sir. I prefer it over Euclidean coordinates. So you're a, you're a fan of Taraji P. Henson, aren't you? How could you not be? It's Cookie. It's Cookie from Empire. <laughs> I know. This is the thing. You know her from Empire. I know her from Think Like a Man and Person of Interest. So we, course, we have yeah. our individual fandom. Yeah. But... Uh, She's really good. In fact, all three of the set of the, the lead ladies, they are fantastic in this. So Janelle Monet, who I'd, I'd never really known in an acting capacity, I don't think. This is actually her first ever acting role. Well, this. Is it? She's a singer, isn't she? she? She's a singer. That is how I've. Right, okay. Of her. She, she is amazing. She's kind of like the female version of James Brown, in a way. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. So she's Jane Brown. That's what we're going with. We'll say that. She's Jane Brown. (laughs) Fair enough. And then you've got Octavia Spencer as well, who's terrific. In fact, everyone on the cast is brilliant in this. Kirsten Dunst gets a chance to do something different and play a slightly nastier role. You've got uh, Kevin Costner's the reliable, you know, I'll bring the housewife audience in. Don't worry about that. And then you've got Jim Parsons from The Big Bang Theory, who even he manages to impress. What's going on with this film? Well, here's the thing. I've always been a fan of Jim Parsons, just not as Sheldon. I can't stand the Big well, Bang Theory, as you know, and you feel... I, I can't either. Yeah, but I... I it's... Oh. I, <laughs> exactly. It's just, ha, 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 canned laughter all the time. But whenever exactly he's in the film, I've always been super, super happy with what he's, what he's delivered. That's fair, that's fair. I mean, the thing that, that does it for me with this film is it, uh, it has its flaws, obviously. I mean, there's, there's things like Mah- Mahershala Ali um, has a supporting role as Taraji P. Henson's love interest. Yeah. He basically has no character. It's very, I mean, th- very that, that's underwritten. Worth yeah. It is, and he is there in that capacity of, do you know what? I'm the hunky guy you want to take home to mum, and I'm happy with that function. Yeah. And fair play to him. And he's kind of, it's because he knows he's got moonlight coming as well. (laughs) We've got moonlight coming in like 20 minutes, so. He knows, he knows. Um, Yeah, I I, I did really like the cast. Who played Janelle Monae's husband? I can't remember. He was someone I did know. Uh, I forget the actor's name, but he's in uh, was Straight, that Aldous Straight Hodge? Out of Compton. He's in uh, Straight Outta Compton. It may well be Aldous Hodge, actually. It, that is Aldous Hodge, because yeah. I know him from the TV series Leverage. Uh, I did know him from Straight Outta Compton. Yeah, and he's been supernatural, of all things. No way. But, uh, don't, don't forget, he killed Sam Winchester, man. Lest we forget, he killed Sam Winchester. Lest Winchester. we forget, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you don't kill a Winchester and live to no. tell the tale, anyway, and he didn't either. Um, but no, I did really, I did really like the film. I think the, the t- those two supporting male roles are a bit underwritten. The film itself is a little hokey in places, but having said that, it's not trying to be too challenging about it. No. It really doesn't have much of an ambition more than we're doing the help again, and this time it's with NASA. Yeah, and we're gonna go to space. Yeah, it's it's a little bit movie <laughs> of a week ish, but. It's enjoyable enough, and it's it's frothy when it needs to be, and it it's got good serious tones in other places, and yeah, all in all, 
it was it was it was definitely a good time that's it i mean i did i, I found it, I, it it worked for me it was as enjoyable as it was i think because it had this this true story that you didn't necessarily know i didn't know the story necessarily no um I knew that there were these women, and um, there was an episode of Timeless recently that uh, that brought up the story as well. And I, I had never read the book; I didn't know the full extent of it. And I was uh, I was impressed by it. It did feel a little bit filed down, a little bit sort of edge free, a little bit unchallenging. But having said that, it, it worked as a sort of this year's help. Yeah, uh, there's, there's usually there's usually help at least every two years, isn't there? There really is. And as far as Oscar contenders go, this is the frothy. This is the strawberry milkshake of the equation. Let it in there. Let it have its time to continue frothing. And you'll enjoy it. And that's that's fine. Yeah, I completely agree. There we are then. So, uh, should we plug the, the podcast and the competitions before we, oh, before we move on? Why not? Have we got any competitions going on right now? We do. We are giving away DVD copies of Marauders, the Stephen C. Miller movie with uh, Bruce Willis and Adrian Grenier uh, and Crystal Maloney and Dave, Dave Batista. Batista. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. Uh, we're doing our DVDs of that, so if you want to win a copy of Marauders on DVD, pop along to onscreenfilm.com, go in the competition section, and uh, just enter your details to be put into the draw, win some swag, and in the meanwhile, of course, while you're on the site, you can go along to the uh, the off-screen section, which is the podcast section, where you can download the extended version of this show in its complete expanded podcast form, complete with you and I shooting the breeze, as it were. <laughs> which we solely love to do. We we do like taking aim at that breeze, so we shoot the breeze. We get an extra what half hour, twenty minutes out of it, something, something like that, that yeah. Something. And we get a moment of cage, so you know, win 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 all round. All, all all is well, all is good, all is well. With the latest film news and reviews, this is off screen, the on screen radio show. And we're back. So, what's next, Mr. Allen? I think we should have a look at that box office top ten of ours. That there box office top ten? That very same one. Number ten. The Space Between Us. Which I really liked. Uh, you haven't seen this one, have you? No, and I don't really intend to. It's not It's not sold me, and you haven't sold me. You are terrible at your job. <laughs> That's, you know what? That's fair enough. Um, it is being it's sold as this intergalactic love story, and it's really not. It's more this. It's more uh, you know, boy searches for parents by way of the plot of The Martian, and that mm. boy happens to be Arza Butterfield. And the movie has this ridiculously overblown level of casting, like Gary Oldman, Gal Gugino, uh, 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 Britt Brit Robertson. Yeah. I want to say, is that right? Um, this one is Britt Robertson, not Britt Marling. Not Britt Marling. Okay, I get the two. I get the two young blonde actresses confused. I apologise, um, but no, I, I liked it in spite of what it was because it was it was a film that had its heart firmly set on becoming the sort of Earth to Echo, uh, monster trucks type, uh, you know, child narrative. This young adult type narrative, and it worked for me. It worked for me. It sold me. I liked the sort of dozy, sort of goofy sci-fi romance aspect of it. I liked the whole road journey, the whole kid comes home kind of idea. It worked on me, but I accept that it's really better off aimed at a young adult audience and, and not really a sentient adult. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Number nine. Rings. I've not seen it. Have you seen it? Do I really look like the kind of person that's going to go see this film? Well, no, but you look like Jeff Goldblum having a weekend off. I mean, you know, that, that's not really, you know, a, a, a same thing. Jeff Goldblum thing. Um, really letting his hair down. <laughs> really letting his hair down in full curly mode. Um, but no, I've not seen it. I'm not paying to see Rings. They're not going to pressure it. I'm not reviewing it. The end. Let's move on. Number eight. Hacksaw Ridge. Which I watched again last night. Did you see it again? It's awesome, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it, though? It's just... Yeah. I just had a real craving it's, to watch it last night. 
It is this. It, it, I think. It, I think it, it almost counts as the new Private Ryan. It's got some great performances. It's got a director with real action chops. I mean, who knew Mel Gibson would turn out to be a good action director? Who knew Mel Gibson was going to be welcome back to Hollywood? I know. Apart from, apart from hey, you. <laughs> well, you know, you say that. If you were a member of the Church of Scientology, he'd have been doing Cheerios commercials in 2007, and we would know none of this. I feel but like still. you had some kind of, like, Ava Maria-style, like, shrine to Mel Gibson in your house <laughs> with, like, candles <laughs> and a picture of I Richard Murtaugh. There's, there's a mannequin with the, the Mad Max costume on it in my office. That's clearly what it is. But no, I, I liked Hacks Original. I liked the performances, and I, I really, really loved his directorial chops in this he really brought the carnage but at the same time didn't skimp on the human drama at the center of it all and i thought andrew garfield really brought that home for me yeah absolutely totally agree number seven split which is surprisingly popular isn't it like it's, ignoring it's the fact really that it's at number popular. seven really popular a lot of people it's, well, have it's seen it's been it. out for weeks now it's been out for like four weeks still hanging in there it's had a month a lot of people are still seeing it and you know it's got great performances and, and Shyamalan's it's nice to see him back on a little trashy reform but uh, the film isn't that good and th- there's more interest in its potential sequel than there is itself hmm. and that that kind of thing lasts a bit of a disappointment number six Lion which I adored I mean did you I can't tell did you get to see this one I can't remember I have seen this one yeah, I, I I can't remember whether I told you my thoughts on it. I I really really did you love the dev? Loved it. I loved the dev. So happy when he won the <laughs> best supporting actor at the Baftas. Just good for him great. on that one. Good for him. Yeah, I feel like it was one of those kind of show bets because he's a Brit and that kind of thing. But yeah, really good. Really <laughs> it's good. like I Daniel Blake winning Baftas. Who'd have thunk it? I know. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, shocked. Thought. shocked. But no, I liked Lion. I like that Nicole Kidman supporting role. I think she's very good in a minimal role. Actually, I thought David Wenham uh, made a sizable impression in a small role as well, actually. I've, I've never not liked David Wenham in anything. I always like him. Van Helsing? Even Van Helsing, especially Van Helsing. <laughs> he plays that, like, you know what? spineless goon just right. <laughs> you know what? There's, there's nothing. Once someone's defended anything to do with Van Helsing, that that's kind of where the conversation that's ends. Bad, other than, yeah, other than go and see Lion, it's great. So then, shall we? Uh, you got some news for me before we do Moonlight? I got some news. I got, I got loads. What of you got news for me? Tonight. What you got for me? Oh, what can I give you, sir? I will tell you that we have a director for the Batman. For the Batman, do we? Okay, okay. Go on. Who is it? Is it Terry Gilliam? No, but how much money would you pay to see that? <laughs> I would give them all my money to see Terry Gilliam direct a Batman movie. In fact, man, no, you Alex Poyas. <laughs> you can't say that. You're a critic. You can't say anything nice for Alex Poyas. That's not a lie. No, no, that's that, that's true. Alex Poyas did condemn us all to death, didn't he? Absolutely. And as far as a Terry Gilliam, as far as a Terry Gilliam directed Batman, he'll, he'll be attached to it, and then he'll try to get it in production, and then they start shooting, and then they won't actually film it, and... Next thing you know, it's 25 years later. Exactly. But the man exactly. who is going to be uh, taking over the Batman is Matt Reeves. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Matt Reeves. Yeah. I am as well. So, so he's because he, he's done the third in the Apes series. Well, he did Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He's now he did, he's done second, War he's as well. War for the Planet of the Apes. He did right. uh, Cloverfield with JJ, and he did uh, the... Let the right one in. Yeah, Mag, isn't it? Let let me in, which I actually really, really really liked, really enjoyed that one. Confession: I have never seen the remake. I have only ever seen the original. <laughs> Check that remake out. I feel like it's it's one. I of think I, I shall. I, yeah, I feel like if that came out first, if if it was kind of reversed, I feel like it'd still get the same kind of attention. Okay, so he's going to take over Ben Affleck as the director of the Batman. Then he is indeed, and hopefully, we'll 
finally see this bloody film. Yeah, I mean, I mean, ignoring the rumor that that Ben Affleck apparently wants out of it now, but yeah, I, I I don't know who to believe. I I feel like there might be some grain of truth in that somewhere. But I'll tell you what is true though: it's all the hype around Moonlight, and uh, we should we should review that. Incredible! Just I'm I'm going to review I'm going to review it now in three words. It is incredible. Do you know what? I'm I'm inclined to agree with you as well. Let's set it up though. Uh, so this is the this is only the second film from writer director Barry Jenkins. Barry Jenkins, yeah, it is. Yeah, and uh, whose first film I don't think anyone saw, and it came out seven years ago. I've not seen. I can't even tell what it's called. To I, be I can't even remember offhand. But it was like an art house thing seven years ago. Uh, it's taken him this amount of time. He's now directed Moonlight, which is based on the play. Is it uh, in Moonlight? All black boys look blue. Yes, indeed. That's it. Right, and so this is the story then of uh, Chai Ron, who is a, a young boy growing up in Florida with a single mother. Um, he basically we see him in a three act, three act almost play like structure uh, that takes him through three different points of his life: so his actual childhood years, his teens, and then his young adult years. Uh, he's played by three different actors in all time periods. Obviously, this is not a Richard Linklater movie, and. Um, uh, and this basically how he deals with his mother's his mother's growing and then eventually all consuming crack addiction, his surrogate paternal relationship with uh, a local drug dealer named Juan, who's played by Mahershala Ali, because he had to have a great role this week, and uh, then his adult years in which he finally pursues this sort of closeted gay relationship he's always had with uh, one of his closest friends growing up. And uh, well, we have a clip. What happened? Huh? What happened, Chiron? Why you didn't come home like you're supposed to? Huh? And who is you? Nobody. I found him yesterday. I found him in a hole on 15. Yeah, that one. Some boys chased him in the cut. He's scared more than anything. He wouldn't tell me where he lived till this morning. Well, thanks for seeing to him. He usually can take care of himself. He good that way. Little man. So Mahershala Ali there with Naomi Harris. And I can't remember the name of the young actor who who plays childhood Gyron. No, I can only remember the fella who plays yeah. Black, who is... Uh, yeah, because yeah, he has three different names, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so what, what is his, his first name? So when he's when he's when he's a kid, his name is Little, and then when he's in his teens, he his name is Chiron, Chiron, Chiron yeah. and then when he's an adult, his name is Black. Black. Yeah, which uh, all, that, I can't help but think is a very pigeonholing name. Yes, it is, but it all makes sense <laughs> within the film. Like it's all all the names are explained. Okay, so I'll tell you what, do you want to take this in 30 second shifts each? Because um, I think we want to rave for, we've got like two minutes to rave about this. So let's take it in, in two, I will, I will two batches of 30 seconds. You, you can rave on first. Okay, so for one thing, this is basically shot like an 80s Michael Mann movie with all the mature sensibilities of a Spike Lee joint. It's got an absolute belter of a screenplay because uh, Jenkins has obviously adapted the play himself, uh, which is by, what's his name, McCraney? Is it McCraney? I can't remember. Um, I think so, yeah. 
I think his name was McCraney, and uh, Terrell Alvin McCraney, that was his name. Um, and then at the centre of it all, you have not just a, a great cast, but you have three terrific performances playing the same role at different points, and I can give you their name, hang, names, hang on. They are Alex Hibbert, Ashton Sanders, and Trevante Rhodes, and th- those are in age order, and each one terrific. I thought Trevante Rhodes stood out the most, I think he had the most to actually work with, mm. and uh, I think he played the inner turmoil, but also his performance is almost a reactionary one to Mahershala Ali's, in a sense. Yeah, that's a really good observation, actually. Um, I'll just talk about a couple of the supporting actors. So, no we'll we'll talk about Mahershala Ali. I think we can both rant on for days about his performance in this. Which <laughs> when, can, yeah. I know, but on on the surface, is it actually more kind of minimal than what you were expecting? I was expecting fights and all manner of things but that's, that's not I was as well I thought when I heard his role I thought this is going to go full on full you know boys in the hood type thing it doesn't at all but it's still kind of as but it doesn't now no and then, it is very uh, much so Ni- Naomi Harris is his mum oh heartbreaking incredible yeah really enjoyed it I mean did you actually what did you think of the visuals on this because I can't I don't know what he's done before but James Laxton's done the cinematography on this this I'm neon not, I'm not sure sort he's of done look. Before, but it's incredible isn't it where there's just the blues and the purples everywhere and and also the score as well um I listened Wonderful, to isn't it yeah uh, I listened to a 50 minute long uh, podcast with the guy that did the score and uh, he was talking about uh, coming up with three separate themes for each stages of of his life. And, um, you do get that feeling. You do, don't you? Yeah. So they're all kind of similar, but played with like different instruments. And um, yeah, it just gives like a really eerie tone to each each different theme. Really great. So as we wrap it up, then you'd recommend it, wouldn't you? I'd recommend it to everyone. Absolutely. I mean, this is the thing. I think Jenkins is an absolutely terrific, terrific tour de force here. I think his the way he's written these characters is reverent to the material, but at one at one stage it's kind of evolutionary as well. Um, I think it's terrific. I think it's been overshadowed by La La Land, which is a more showy film, and then you've got Manchester by the Sea, which is more indie friendly. This sits in the middle, and I think this is the film that you think, yes, okay, this is what the Oscars should be championing. Brilliant, love it. Move on. With the latest film news and reviews. And we're back. So, Mr. Allen, you know what time it is? I'm guessing he's back. I'm thinking he's back, yeah. I'm thinking it's chapter two time. So, how excited are you for the return of John Wick? So excited that I tried to see it on Tuesday, because we had uh, previews. Valentine's Day previews, yeah. Uh, Sadly, these previews did not start until the evening, and I was otherwise uh, indisposed in the evening. Oh, darn. I, I, I will be seeing it tomorrow. Okay, so let me let me set the stage for you. It is literally 30 seconds after the end of John Wick, and John Wick is still on his kill campaign. It turns out he didn't stop at the end of John Wick. He went home and dropped the dog off, and then decided to carry on. And uh, it turns out he left one very dangling loose thread, and that was his car. We all somehow forgot about his car. Because you just think about the cute dog, of course. <laughs> you do, yes. Well, it turns out his car is still out there. He go, He stages this massacre to get his car back. He barely gets it back in one piece. And then he's contacted by an old friend who has discovered, obviously, that during the events of the first movie, he obviously came out of retirement. He came back to the fold, the organised crime world. And uh, by doing so, he has forfeited his uh, his ability to sit on the sidelines. He's now obligated to fill a blood oath from years earlier when he was, you know, Baba Yeager, the, the mm-hmm. boogeyman. And uh, this this blood oath is to tr- involves travelling to Rome and assassinating 
Wang, one of the leaders of the, uh, the the Assassins Guild or the World Council or whatever it is, the the the, the UN of Assassins, and uh, who happens to be his friend's Amazing. sister. Yeah, yeah. It's his friend's sister, oh. and the idea is if John Wick assassinates the sister, the friend can ascend to the throne, as it were. Uh, this oh. obviously all goes spectacularly wrong because it's John Wick, you know, and uh, we, he finds himself basically with another contract placed on his life, having to fend off assassins from all sides. Here's a clip. He's offered $7 million for your life. $7 million is a lot of money, Mr. Wick. So I guess you have a choice. You want a war? Or do you want to just give me a gun? Somebody please get this man a gun. Let's go. Your descent into hell begins here, Mr. Wick. Earl will guide you. Do be careful on your way down. Oh, and remember, you owe me. You don't want me owing you. So he's back, and he's still awesome. Good. That's all I really need to know. There's this thing with action movies where you get a really good one, and then they do a sequel, and they drop the ball spectacularly. So you know you had Taken, and mm. then you had Taken 2. Taken two and then you had... Talk about. We try never to mention, let alone Taken 3. Oh. And then you have uh, The Raid, and then you have Raid Berendahl, and it's just not as good. And Not as good, but I, I would never compare uh, Raid 2 to Taken 2. Oh, no, no, no. Different, oh. different quality levels. But yeah. I'm saying it's still a disappointment compared to the predecessor. Mm. It's, it's because but, most films in particular, they were such surprises in the way that the first John Wick is. Exactly. And this is the thing. So John Wick uh, turns out to be... I mean, it's a better sequel than either of those two movies. Mm. It's a better movie full stop than either of those two sequels. Um... And yet, it's still not quite a patch on, you know, the hyper-violent ballet that is John Wick. And it's... Right, Keanu Reeves, not Mr. Step. He's still the same great Keanu Reeves, stone-faced, you know, three-piece suit-wearing killing machine that he was. And he he really sells it. But uh, the problem you've got this time is... Right, they're expanding the world of John Wick. But in doing so, they've kind of lost the fun and the energy of the first one. Mm. It's still really good, but it doesn't flow quite like the first one did. The first one was just like a really, really breezy, fun weekend. Yeah. This feels like John Wick having, you know, a week where he's got to stop for lunch and, you know, he's, he's got to remember to pop to the post office and yeah, you know what it's, I mean? It's just, he's got a few odd jobs to do. Exactly. I mean, the, the new the new cast members are all quite good. You, I mean, you've got Lawrence Fishburne, who, as you can hear from the clip, is really hamming it up. Someone, get this man a gun! Um, you've got Common, who, I, I swear to God, if he couldn't make his case more for the Green Lantern if he was trying to, you've got Ruby Rose, who's basically mute in the movie, actually does all her communication through sign language, and is fantastic. And then the weirdest one of all, Franco Nero turns up. Can't figure that one out. Franco Nero turns up as the Italian equivalent of Ian McShane. And it's not, when, not until you see them both in the same film that you think, actually, there is a kind of passing similarity. And, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But there is fun to be had. That's and, good. That's all uh, I you know, uh, really. Yeah, really. I mean, Derek Kolstad, Chad Stahelski, they're both back. So writer-director, both back. They know what works for them. They try to play up to it as much as they can while still simultaneously living up to the expectations that the really successful first one set up. Um, but at the same time, it's it's one of those, it's like, if the first movie's a 9 out of 10, 
This is uh, seven and a half out of ten. Okay, which is still better than a lot of action sequels. In fact, all action sequels. I'll tell you something. It's the best sequel Keanu Reeves has ever been in. That's true. And also, is it is it the eighth time that he's played a character called John as well? I think it is. I think it is. It's just his default name. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I, I swear to God, I wait for him to turn up in a movie as John Everyman. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is John Everyman. <laughs> I swear to God, it's going to happen. Yeah. But uh, no, I, that's the thing. I, I, there's going to be a lot of discussion about why it isn't as good as the first movie or why it's better. I think, and that, I quite like that about it. I like that it is a discussion-worthy action sequel because how often does that happen, really? Not very often. So here you go. Meet meet the rare, rare case. And it's got a cute dog and it's got a great car and it, it's got John Wick being John Wick. And that's always fun, it seems. I can't wait for the third one because there is clearly a setup for the third one. You cannot mistake it for anything else. And uh, yeah, we're in for a good time. Shall some we film have news? some film news? Works for me. Let's do it. So this kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. So there's a director that I really, really love called uh, Jeremy uh, Solnir. Oh, the uh, guy who did uh, Blue Ruin and Green Room. Yeah, the very same. And he's announced his next film, which sadly... There's not going to colour in the title. Oh, no. Because I kind of thought that was just going to be his thing. I thought we were going oh, to have... Red, Red Devil surely has to Red be next. Devil. I mean... Purple purple Monkey. Just have a colour in every film. <laughs> Why are we all going with animals and, and mythical creatures? I don't know, but... I have no idea, but um, but he has announced his new film, uh, which is going to be called uh, Hold the Dark. Um, and that's got a really, really impressive cast. I don't know if you've heard about it. Is this the one? Is it Jeffrey Wright? I want to say it is. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Jeffrey Wright, um, uh, Alexander Skarsgård, and James Badge uh, Dale as well. Oh, I like James Badge Dale. I've liked him since. Me too. I think, uh, I, he was in Twenty Four years ago. He was, and he shows up in Iron Man Three. And I kind of yes, wish he had a bigger part in that. I wish he had a better character in that. I'll be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. Me too. He's also in Flight. He's really good in Flight. Oh, well, I remember him now, yes. Yeah, he's in flight for like one scene, but a yeah. great scene. Do you, do you know what it's about? Have you heard? No, that's what I was going to ask. What's this one about? Basically about uh, a father who is a wolf hunter who gets lost in the, the, uh, in the wilderness, in the Alaskan wilderness, and he's tracked down his young child. Actually goes mad as well from the isolation and the harsh weather. It sounds incredible, doesn't it? This, this sounds like the grey meets the revenant. That sounds brilliant. And I need that film in my life right now. I, I do, yeah. Yep. Oh, wow. Did I read that this was a Netflix? It was going to be put out by Netflix at some point. Uh, it is indeed. Shall we, shall uh, we uh, finish off the top ten? I think we shall. Number five. La La Land. Which I loved, and I know you loved as well. I mean, is there anything yeah. left to say on La La Land? I mean, it's, it's, it's a grand old song and dance, and Ryan Gosling's amazing in it, and Emma Stone isn't quite as amazing, but she's still pretty good. I feel like everyone's seen it now. It's great. Go see it again. Number four. T2, Train Spotting. Which I, I enjoyed, but uh, I didn't enjoy I it as much as I wanted it. to. I still haven't seen it. You'll get there eventually. I mean, the thing is, it is, yeah. a, it is a film about the ennui of middle age, because that's the age its characters are now at. And given that the first movie is all about that, that ferocious just unencumbered energy of your 20s. The idea that that the second movie kind of takes this energetic slump 
it is at once both clever and at the same time disappointing because you kind of i know you want more of the same it's it's the anti john wick in that sense in the sense that john wick ups the game this kind of dulls the energy down but it does it for a for a, for a very integral artistic reason and you can respect it you can respect the film for it as much as you can be disappointed by it and but you know what it's still got a great soundtrack it's still got all the characters that you love back danny boyle's still a great director his closing shot of the movie is an absolute belter and uh, yeah i i still really enjoyed it in spite of my misgivings. Number three. Sing. Which is exactly what you would expect of an animated X-Factor movie with a celebrity voice cast and talking, singing animals. It's like, oh, here's Scarlett Johansson singing a rock song. Here is Reese Witherspoon singing uh, Taylor Swift. Here is Nick Kroll singing... It's, it's that. It's that as a movie. For, for like a, a weirdly a weirdly long runtime, actually. It's like an hour 45, which I didn't quite expect. But uh, you know what? I enjoyed it. It won me over. And I thought, actually, it's, it's kind of charming. It's not going to set the world alight or anything, but it's, it's charming enough. It's good enough. Number two. Fifty Shades Darker. Which is absolutely dreadful. I, to a degree that you honestly wouldn't believe. And I'm not saying this in that snobby, oh, well, you know, it's mummy porn kind of thing. Not in that way. No, because, you know, I'd rather we were back in the 90s when smut used to be bookended by David Duchovny talking to camera. But yeah, this is a film so spectacularly bad that unlike the Twilight series, where the central two, you know, would-be ill-fated lovers mm. at least kind of believed in the project, in this movie, they can't be bothered. They've got awful dialogue. They know it. They know that that awful dialogue is being peddled to them by the author's husband, and the author seems to now have complete control. So, noticeably, there's a shift in the characters. So, Christian Grey, for is one of the worst human beings in the history of humanity, um, just absolutely plays like Buffalo Bill in a three-piece suit. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, Buffalo Bill had more charm. Uh, yeah. Dakota Johnson is is just walking through this film like she's a, like she's somehow an, 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 a, an, a mobile coma victim. Um, the soundtrack narrates the film to a degree that is condescending even to children. How, um, how, it how has, many times does Crazy in Love play in this film? It doesn't actually play in the film. That's the strange part. But there's loads of these. There's like a, a Zayn and Taylor song, I'm told. Okay. I, I saw this because they didn't press show it. I saw it in a public screening. I was sat next to a, a woman in a hashtag latest baby t-shirt uh, who was reacting to every scene in the film as if it was the second coming of Rogue One. And it is 118 of the longest, most awful minutes of my life. It made the first movie look genuinely great in comparison. Zolman King is spinning in his grave. E.L. James, I genuinely hope, is, you know, just... It, it, is slicing vegetables with the endless checks she's getting from this. Uh, James Foley cannot be bothered to even make this look credible anymore. This looks like it's been put out as a movie of the week. And at the end of it all, it ends with this Back to the Futures 2 style setup for the third one, where you're just like, uh, I guess we're all going to be back here in a year's time, and I'm probably still not going to care. It's not Fifty Shades Darker, it's Fifty Shades Duller. And that's the problem with it. Number one. The Lego Batman movie. Which you adored, come on. Which I saw on Tuesday. Did you love you adored, come on. I did, absolutely. Um, I was supposed to see John Wick, as I previously said. Um, was denied, saw this instead. Did not regret my decision one bit. It was it was great. And you absolutely shouldn't. It was terrific. It was so much fun. It turned out to be the best Batman movie in six years. No one expected that. Will Arnett now really has is. a permanent place yeah. in the pantheon of great Batman. I think it's my favourite Batman since Dark Knight, which is great. <laughs> 
way possible. Yeah. I mean, it's got such a great sense of humour. It really knows the Batman mythology. It has a lot of fun with it. But at the same time, you can actually, in a very weird way, sit and take it seriously. Absolutely. It's got a really good message to it as well, beneath all the satire and all the parody and all the fun. Everything is awesome when you're part of a team. Yeah, or family in this case. So, you know what? Bring on Lego Movie sequel, Lego Movie 2, whatever it's going to be called. I'm, I'm waiting and I couldn't be more looking forward to it. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. So, Mr. Allen, where shall we take the show next? I think we should take it to the film news. I'll just give you a little a little taste, just a little, just a little summit something. You're a real pusher, aren't you? The first taste is free. Yeah, and then you've got to buy all of Jurassic World 2, because we have another cast member. <laughs> Do they? Who is it this time? Uh, Ted Levine. Ted so- Levine, who played the realistic version of Christian Grey in Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> I thought you would enjoy this news. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, Ted Levine then's joined Jurassic World 2. Brilliant. Okay, who's he playing? Do we know? They've not said. We've not said, but um, this cast is coming together quite nicely, and um, I'm really, really happy with the director as well. Um, it's Jay pre- Bayona did Jay Bayona, Monster yeah. Calls, isn't it? Which is already one of my favourite films this year. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's one of those that you kind of knew the minute you saw it. This is clearly going to be in the top ten of the year come the end of the year. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's a Jurassic pretty, World 2. This is sounding incredible. So we've already got, uh, obviously, uh, Chris Pratt is back. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard is back. Uh, Toby Jones has joined it. Oh, Rafe Spall's in it as well, isn't he? And also Rafe Spall, who is no doubt playing either some kind of like slimy lawyer or <laughs> British <laughs> diplomat guy. Who, who's, who seems a bit off-putting at first, but actually is kind of charming. Because that's what happened in Rhodey's and Rhodey's was a great show. We both enjoyed that show way, way too much. I know. <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Me too, me too. Right, can you tell me about Ray Kroc? I can tell you all sorts about Ray Kroc. I've, I've had a fascination with Ray Kroc since 2004, so I can tell you everything there is to know about Ray Kroc. Fantastic. So this film is uh, The Founder, correct? This is The Founder. Uh, this is the film I was getting confused with uh, Theodore Melfi, because this is John Lee Hancock, who did Saving Mr. Banks. Yep, Absolutely. Let me take you through it by the numbers. So basically what you've got is the story of McDonald's. Not the founding of it, but the actual rise of McDonald's to prominence. Because I don't know if you're aware of this story. McDonald's existed as a solitary burger burger outlet using the format that we now know and love, although they didn't have places that you could see it at the time, um, in San Bernardino, California. One day, a milkshake machine salesman named Ray Kroc shows up because they've ordered six milkshake, uh, eight milkshake machines, which was basically unheard of at the time. He turns up to find out why anyone would want such an insanely large number, and then he meets Dick and Mac McDonald. Do you know who's playing any of these characters so far? I know that Ray Kroc is Michael Keaton. I know that right. one of the McDonald's is Nick Offerman. Of Nick Offerman. Uh, Parks yeah. and Rec. And, and the other one I know is the Zodiac Killer. Yeah, he's also the Red Dragon. He is John Carroll Lynch. That's his name. Yep. Completely yep, John lost. John Carroll Lynch. Yep. So the idea is he talks them into allowing him to run the franchise wing of their business. He goes off and sets up all the new McDonald's. And the idea is he'll ensure that there's quality control, that basically the template that they've set out so meticulously in San Bernardino will be applied to all of the other outlets. They have had it fail in the past, as you'll hear in our clip. Um, 
And the whole crux is that he gets a whiff of success and immediately becomes corrupted. What you've got is effectively Breaking Bad with McDonald's. And he, before you know it, he is trying his darndest to screw them out of the business and turn his, his would-be cash cow into what will eventually become one of the world's most recognisable brands and one of the planet's uh, biggest landowners, which is a fact that mm. no one ever seems to remember. No, I had no uh, well, idea about that. There you go. Well, we have a clip. Franchise the damn thing. It's too damn good for just one location. There should be McDonald's everywhere, coast to coast, sea to shining sea. Mr. Croft. Hey, you know, I've I, I, I got a confession I want to make to you boys. I'm not out here in California for any kind of business meetings. I came out here for you. A few days ago, I got into St. Louis, Missouri, and I was doing some business, and I broke out my map. And I followed my finger on one single highway west. Route 66. Something told me. Something told me to get into my car and drive that highway. And you know where it led me? Right here. Right smack dab here. Right to this unbelievable establishment. When I saw these lines to your whole operation and I tasted your product, I knew what needed to happen. Franchise. 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 We already tried. So there's your central trio there. You've got Michael Keaton, Nick Offerman, and uh, John Carroll Lynch. Right, I'm going to take this one through. So this is Michael Keaton's Breaking Bad. That, that's the best way to call this. It sounds bizarre, but it works as, as an idea. It's now 14 years since Morgan Spurlock did the whole uh, Super Size Me thing. So welcome God, the Golden back to the screen. Mm. It's 14 years. That's insane. That, that was a great film. It was a very good film. Uh, what mm. you've got here, then, is to say, John Lee Hancock seems to know the Breaking Bad idea, and he's pulled it off miraculously through the aid of, first of all, a really good script by Robert Siegel, who, if you're not keeping track, also wrote The Wrestler years ago. Oh, yeah, the um, uh, Mickey Rourke film. The, the Mickey Rourke would have been Nicolas Cage, Darren Aronofsky movie, yeah. I can't believe Nick Cage was going to be in that at one point. The world is a much poorer place for not having that film. I, I know. I guarantee you he'd have won the Oscar for that as well. Yeah. Well, he's already got one. It's fine. It one's, in, one's enough for the cage. Anyway, so um, this is uh, you've got uh, you've got the writer of The Wrestler, you've got the director of Saving Mr. Banks, you've got the period piece setting that's not a million miles removed from Saving Mr. Banks as well, and you've got that same kind of same kind of jovial, irreverent tone going on, but at the same time, this breaking bad storyline. And it's brilliant. It really works. You wouldn't think it does, but it does nick offman gets to kind of play against his t- against type against the the sort of ron swanson role that he's just so known for now in all of his other little appearances but at the same time there's something kind of familiar about him there's something all american there's something john c mcginley about him hmm. and then you've got john carroll lynch who gets to play kind of the nice vulnerable one of the brothers i mean you kind of know where which, it's all which going because he very rarely plays a character like that anymore yeah i mean it reminded me was he i think he was in volcano years ago wasn't he it reminded me of when he was in volcano he was kind of the vulnerable boss figure. Yeah, he was, yeah. God, I've got to watch that film again. <laughs> we, we mention it about every three weeks. Uh, so <laughs> so we should watch it. <laughs> but this is the thing. So, um, Hancock's style, he, he's already got the style down from uh, from Saving Mr. Banks. What you've got here is these visuals. John Schwartzman's provided the visuals for this, and what he's gone with is this sort of technicolour, this kind of bright, colourful Americana-type palette, that, the kind of thing you would associate with McDonald's as a brand anyway. And it all kind of works. It's it's this bri- There's this whole juxtaposition thing where you've got the bright colours, you've got this dark-hearted character at the centre of it all, and you've got this jovial tone running through it. And it all really, really works. And at the end of the day, you come out of the film and think, what am I doing for lunch? I've got an idea. And three guesses where you wind up, so... KFC. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. I can't wait for the KFC movie after this. Oh, who do we get in there? Starring Brian Cox. Brian Cox is Colonel Sanders. Exactly. It's got to work, isn't it? Yeah, it's got to work. I don't know enough about the origin of Pizza Hut to suggest <laughs> based on pizza let's let's research it and uh put it into the belt. i feel like i feel like edward norton would play the founder of pizza hut and he'd do it pretty well i don't even know what the guy looks like but i feel like edward norton could pull that off i just feel like he would be the narrator from fight club but just in a pizza just <laughs> wanting to throw ice cream factory at screaming kids <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But no, yeah. the founder is so worth checking out. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It, it's just not what you expect. It has it has the tone that you kind of wish they'd applied to a Steve Jobs movie at some point, but they never quite got round to doing. No. But, uh, no, do, do check it out. Michael Keaton is brilliant. I will, brilliant. absolutely. I'll, I'll see anything Michael Keaton is in now. He's just... Undeservedly he, so. He, he has my money, and he has had my... <laughs> My interest since I was, like, five, when I first saw Batman. <laughs> you had my interest. Now you have my attention. <laughs> yeah. going to watch Rat Film <laughs> again. <laughs> but, uh, no, this is the thing, because I cannot possibly for the life of me decide what film of the week needs to be. It's, it's, it's um, a pretty good run, isn't it? It's a strong week. I mean, okay, no, no, it's Moonlight. I think, let, let's, let's, let's cut through it. It's oh, yeah. Moonlight. Oh, Moonlight's yeah, film absolutely. of the week. But do check out The Founder. Definitely check out The Founder, and also check out Hidden Figures. The frothiest of the bunch is Hidden Figures. The Founder is, I think, the most likeable. Moonlight is the most impressive. Yeah, it's the most, quote-unquote, important of the bunch. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Say. I'll yeah. go with that. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, so, are you, are you ready for next week? Because it's going to be a doozy of a week. I am, I am sat down and I'm ready. Okay, right. So we're going to start the week, we're going to start the week off next week with uh, the return of Mr. Berg and Wahlberg. The a weird combo, my, isn't it? Misersberg. Misersberg. One comes with Wall. So uh, Patriots Day. Uh, we also have uh, the documentary Best, which is obviously about George Ooh. Best. Uh, Sweet Dreams, which I don't know anything about. Neither do I. I hope um, it's just a film about the Eurythmics and about that one song. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be incredible. <laughs> and then we've got uh, It's Only the End of the World. Uh, is that Xavier Dolan? I think so, yeah. We've got A Cure for Wellness with Dane DeHaan. Over a uh, Gore Verbinski uh, horror film. That's it. And are you ready, Mr. Mr. Allen? Because we've got a whopper to cap off that week. The cherry on top of our off-screen Sunday is going to be the on-screen reunion of Mr. Cusack and Cage. It's been too long. It's been too long. The Conair reunion that we have all dreamed of, because we don't like to think about that movie Frozen Ground. The on-screen reunion of uh, Cameron Poe and, uh, what's the name? Vince Larkin. Vince Larkin? And How could you forget Vince, Vince Larkin? Larkin? It's called Arsenal Overseas, but it's Southern Fury here, isn't it? Yeah, nobody really knows why the name change. <laughs> and you know who the director is? It's not Simon West, is it? Steven Simula, who's also now the director of Escape Plan 2, who was the director of Extraction with oh, Bruce Willis and Callum Blood. Yes, it's all tied together. If you go back through our, our back catalogue of shows, we have an intricate narrative that we're weaving subtly in the background. This is like usual suspects, isn't it? Anyway, it really both Kevin Spacey. It, it really is. Yeah. So, um, that's all to come next week, then. So, this has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been Case Allen. And we'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. 